A week and a half ago, I attended the memorial service of my friend David Etheridge. He was the first in my covenant group to die and go be with the Lord. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the covenant group that I'm part of is a group I helped start over 30 years ago of, of me and 12 other pastors. And every year, once a year, we get together for about four or five days to pray together and play together, study scripture, encourage one another, and just to be a source of strength and encouragement in one another's lives. David was a dear and pure-hearted guy who brought so much to our group. I, I, had, I said at his memorial service that he had a way of, of bringing out the best in us and bringing to light the worst in us at the same time because of the purity of his own heart. One of our favorite covenant group tales was the time when we were all out eating at a restaurant and our waitress, who was a cute young college student, said, so um, wh who are you guys? What do you guys all do? What, what do you have in common? And so the group said, well, what would you guess? And she kind of looked at us and said, I don't know, maybe a bunch of teachers? And David said, you are really hot. <laughs> now, David, of all of us, is the least likely to ever make an inappropriate comment. The woman, flushed, uh, said an awkward thank you. And, and turned to go. And, and David realized immediately that she had never heard of the you're getting warmer, you're getting colder game. <laughs> um, so he said, no, 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 wait, that's not what I meant. You're not. <laughs> she uh, awkwardly found a reason to go serve five other tables for a while, <laughs> and eventually made it back. And David, mortified and beat red, tried to explain this game to her and, and tripped over his toes trying to apologize to her. Well, as we came together for the memorial service, of course, we retold that tale. But as we talked, I was talking about the, with each of my covenant group brothers about what their loss of David meant to them. And the interesting thing that happened is we all began to identify the same common thread in our experience with David. One of the qualities that kept coming up was his way of coming alongside of each one of us individually, quietly, graciously, one-on-one, -on -one, and being present to us, coming alongside David to... to ask him about his upbringing and, and to be able to hear and be there and process for him as he wrestled with the pain of aspects of his childhood. Coming alongside Irwin and, and asking if a slightly off-color comment that he made when we were together was really necessary. Coming alongside Darren to assure him of his value to the whole group after someone in the group during one of our group conversations had been impatient with him and insensitive. Coming alongside Ray with a word of encouragement and some practical tips when they were about to start on a high ropes course as partners together, and Ray was terrified of heights. We realized all of us had a common story of how David came alongside each of us and cheered us on. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11 says, Encourage one another 
and build one another up. When you think of encouraging one another and building each other up, what comes to mind? Our culture, I think, misleads us when we think about those two ideas. Maybe what you think of is giving a compliment. Nice shot, great dress, good paper, sweet car, beautiful dog. Compliments can be really nice to hear. We feel acknowledged, we feel seen and recognized, but often those are affirmations of things that we really didn't have a lot to do with. I didn't give myself my eye color or my athletic ability or my singing voice or whatever it might be. Or they often affirm something that's actually rather superficial about me, something that I'm wearing or something that I bought or, or something I did in a game that's just a game. So what comes to mind when you think about encouraging and building each other up might be giving a compliment. It might also be thinking of the self-esteem movement that kind of uh, burgeoned in the 80s and the 90s the, with its inflated Dr. Seussian celebration of universal exceptionalism. You are amazing and wonderful, every single one of you. If you set your mind to it, you can do anything. The sky's the limit. It's like we're all from Lake Wobegon, where all the children are above average. But those esteem-boosting words can ring false because we feel that they are overstated. Really? I can do anything? I, I don't think that's actually true. And they can feel generic. Every one of you is unique and special in just the same way. Those words of affirmation may provide a temporary boost to our self-esteem for a moment, but then life happens, and about 12 minutes later, they kind of lose their power. But when the Bible uses these terms, encourage one another and build each other up, it has in mind something of a very, very different sort. It speaks of an encouraging and a building up that is personal and real and substantive and meaningful and has lasting impact because it is grounded in something that is much, much bigger than ourselves. First Corinthians or First Thessalonians 5.11, Paul says, encourage one another and build each other up. So let's just look at those two phrases a bit. Encourage one another. We are admonished to encourage one another in Hebrews 3.13 and 10.25 and 1 Thessalonians 4.18 and 5.11. In the original language, the phrase actually literally says to call alongside. It refers to coming alongside someone and speaking a word that is meant just for them to do a David Etheridge. Can you think of a time when someone did that for you? Maybe it was a parent who went on a walk with you. Maybe it was a coach who pulled you over to the sidelines. Maybe it was a boss who called you into her office. Maybe it was uh, a friend who took you to coffee. Maybe it was a mentor who, who wrote you a note and then shared something with you that was just the thing that you needed to hear, just for you. That's the word picture that this word, this phrase is meant to bring to mind call you alongside and speak a word that's just for you. Well, as you can imagine, when Bible translators try to uh, capture that phrase in one word, they struggle a bit to, to do so. 
They choose from a whole range of words in English. Admonish, exhort, urge, beseech, comfort, console, encourage, strengthen, and it can mean all of those depending upon the context. So when it comes to how this uh, calling alongside actually plays itself out in our relationships, I think it's helpful to have in mind the, the, the image of a buttress. Some of you may be familiar with, this is in the, in the great churches and cathedrals in England and throughout Europe, there are these massive cathedrals and buildings that have these kind of towers and arches, a whole cluster of them that kind of lean in from the side and hold up the main pillars of the church. I think that's really the sort of image that we're to have in mind when we think about Paul's invitation, God's invitation for us to encourage one another to stand alongside and to lean in and bring our strength and support to others in the church. So Paul says that we are to strengthen and support one another. He also says we're to build one another up. We are called to build one another up in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Ephesians 4.29, Romans 14.19. This phrase is a little more self-explanatory. It means literally building a house or constructing some kind of a building. And specifically, it, it refers to the idea of adding to something that is being built upon a foundation. So a foundation has already been established, something's being built upon it, and we get to contribute to that. We get to add to what is being built. Those of you who have ever gone to Mexico on one of our mission trips, you're accustomed to seeing concrete houses and apartment buildings that have the ground floors completely developed and, and furnished and lived in, and then the roof is unfinished and has rebar sticking up out of the top of it, waiting for the owner to get to building the next floor. So this word picture brings to mind adding to a building that is in progress, contributing to a construction effort, finishing off the next floor. Encourage one another and build each other up. Buttress each other, build each other up, Paul says. So before we talk about some practical ways that I want to challenge us with at the end of the message about how we uh, can do this this week with one another, I just want to point out three connected assumptions that underli um, underlie this admonition that I think are really, really important for us to understand. They really give the power to these uh, words of encouragement to us. Here's assumption number one. God is up to something in each of our lives. God is laying the foundation for something. God is building something. God is establishing something in the life of each person. Philippians 1.6, you began a good work and you will carry it through to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 2.13, it is God who is at work in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. God is establishing something, building something in the life of every believer. What is that? Well, you already know this. It is so much more than just Jesus died to forgive my sins so I could go to heaven. God visits us in the person of Jesus, the second person in the Trinity, who John tells us was the co-builder with the Father in the very beginning. Through that visit, God opens up the way for us to have a relationship with God, the relationship that we were created for and intended for. He addresses the problem of our sin and our alienation from God 
through his death on the cross. And when we respond in trust, God gives us his spirit to begin his building project in us from the inside out, making us more and more like Jesus. God also folds us into the new family, the church, our brothers and sisters in Christ, being part of the gift that God has given us to encourage us in our progress along the way. And God calls us out into the world in mission, called to live a life of love just as we have been loved, even as he holds out before us a perfect future that includes a remade world and a remade humanity. And then God invites a response of us, faith in who he is and in what he has done, even when we can't see him clearly, hope in what he is doing and where he is bringing us and how he is working all things together for good, even when our world is broken, and love for those that he places around us within the church and within the world, even when those relationships are challenging and love is costly. That is just a taste of what God is building in every single follower of Christ. What an incredible thing to be part of. Assumption number two. What God is establishing in us is being contested. His building projects face unrelenting obstacles and challenges. Just as a physical building is jeopardized by storms, earthquakes, erosion, building costs, and so on. So what God is building in us faces the challenges of the bent towards sin that is within us, the lure of the unbelieving world that is around us, and the attack of, of the evil one who is after us. It is fascinating. When you go back, I'd never seen this before. When you go back and you look at the context of each one of these passages that talks about encouraging each other or building each other up, in every single one of them, the context of that admonition to encourage and build each other up, the context is describing the challenges to our faith, the things that make it difficult for us to endure, to press on in our faith. Hebrews chapter 3 talks about our, our inclination to, to harden into sin and to unbelief. Hebrews 10 talks about the temptation to ease up, to become complacent about spiritual things and to drift away from the body and, and so on with every single one of them. So God is building something in the life of each believer, but what God is building is threatened by forces that work against that building project. So it always needs shoring up. It always needs strengthening. So here's assumption number three, which is so deeply encouraging and I think we'll find challenging for each one of us. God's design is that you and I, who are part of the church, we will be a significant part of God's strengthening work in one another's lives as he builds us into Christ-likeness. You and I are called to reinforce, to shore up, to strengthen, to encourage what God is building in one another. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 to 16 give a beautiful and challenging picture of how God intends the church really to function. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow up in every respect to become the mature body of Christ, the one who is our head. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love 
as each part does its work. Wow, what a picture of what the church is really meant to be. You and I, I hope you hear this in this passage, you and I are integral to one another's spiritual growth. You have something that is necessary, that is crucial for my spiritual growth. And I have something that is necessary and crucial for yours. And we will never grow apart from one another in the same way that God means us to grow together. You know this, there is an individualistic and consumeristic version of the Christian life that sees the church as kind of like a gas station. I'm thinking in terms of my own needs, I'm kind of watching my gas gauge and going it down, and eventually when it's convenient or when I, when I realize I'm running low spiritually, I go in and I tank up and off I go. I think this passage kind of knocks a hole in that kind of way of thinking about the church, doesn't it? You and I, our lives are woven together into something bigger than ourselves. We didn't get a say in that. That is God's design. It is this thing called the family of faith that God brings us all into and knits us all together in. And we are given the holy privilege of building one another up to a more mature version of ourselves. Helping bring about in one another's lives the work that God is doing in each of our lives and in our life together. Romans chapter 14, verse 19. Let us pursue those things that lead to peace and to building one another up. And Ephesians 4.29, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. How exactly do we do this? So how do we buttress and build one another up in the faith? Well, the primary way that I believe that we are called to do that is when we help each other to see the ways that God is at work in our lives and when we take part in that work ourselves. You know this. If you've been a follower of Christ for more than a month, you know that part of the despair that we can experience in the Christian life is when we lose sight of the presence and work of God in our lives. When we have a nagging sense that we're, we're not making any spiritual progress anymore that we're stuck in, in our old habits and patterns and the old sins are beginning to, to tug on us and pull us back in. And Jesus doesn't really seem to be making a difference. On the other hand, think of what happens when you notice what God is doing in and through me. And when you point those things out to me, and then I am able to see much more clearly the hand of God at work in my life, and I become strengthened in my faith because you are seeing God at work in and through me. So we encourage one another and we build one another up when a regular part of our conversation in Christ-centered relationships includes comments like this, hey, can I share with you a way that God has used you in my life recently? Or, 
hey, here's a way that I have seen God using you in the lives of others. Or I want to share with you a way that I see God at work in you. I have noticed a way that you are a different person recently. And I connect it to the work that God is doing in your life. And it's a beautiful thing to see. Those are words that buttress and that build up. Earlier this spring, I had the chance to spend some time on a study leave with Danny Sharp, one of the guys in my covenant group and my closest soul friend. After our time together, I took him to the airport. He was heading off on a, a work trip. And uh, he sent me a le- lengthy text while he was sitting at the airport. One of the longest ones I've ever gotten, actually. And in that text, he said, hey, I'm sitting here at the airport thinking about you. And I am so thankful for you. And I just want to share some of the reasons why. What he shared was incredibly moving and meaningful to me. He pointed out some comments that I had made, some insights that I'd shared, some gifts that I'd used, some sensitivities that I'd shown, some steps of growth that I had taken. And his comments were so knowing and so perceptive and so thoughtful that it really set me to thinking in a whole new way about the work that God was doing in my own life with profound gratitude for the evidence of that work. This is where the difference between giving a compliment and encouraging and building up one another becomes obvious. When I receive a compliment, I think more highly of myself. But when someone calls me alongside and shares a word just for me, noticing and acknowledging the work that God is doing in my life, buttressing me in my faith, and contributing to what God is establishing in me, then I think less of myself and I think more of God. God is at work in the life of every believer you know, which means every person who is a follower of Christ who's in this church. That work is a contested work. It is made difficult for any number of reasons, all of which we could cite. God calls us to be part of his work in one another's life, buttressing and and building up one another, strengthening one another's faith and hope and love. So what is God saying to you this morning? Just pause for 30 seconds and ask God that question. God, what is it that you are wanting me to take from this morning and from your word? All right, let's get really practical. Here are three things that I would like to ask each one of us to do this week in response to this passage that we have been exploring this morning. First, today. Romans 14, 19 says, let us pursue those things that lead to building one another up. Pursuing means being intentional, taking a step, making an effort. How Can you be intentional today, this morning, before you leave here, at the end of today, after the service, over lunch, out during games, in during interaction, how might you pursue one person for the sake of showing them love and regard, acknowledging them, maybe introducing yourself, finding out a name, asking a question, listening, asking more questions, just giving good eye contact and listening well. And 
I don't mean your spouse or the safe person that you walked into the room with this morning. I wonder how God might stretch us to interact with someone that we really don't know that well. Maybe the friend of a friend, maybe someone sitting near you that you've never seen before, maybe someone that you've seen and waved at politely a hundred times and would have never really talked to. Maybe one of the awesome kids who are part of our next gen ministry. Maybe one of the great gray pillars of the church. Today, this morning, I want to challenge every single one of us, pursue someone. Second, this week, every day this week, ask God to bring to mind one person that you can encourage. And then shoot that person a text or an email, give them a call, write them a card, pray for them. This past week, uh, Sharon's mom had a 50-year friend visit her. And every single morning for a dozen years, Marsha, at 8 o'clock in the morning precisely, Marsha sends a scripture passage to Margie. Hebrews 3.13 says, encourage one another daily. So I'm going to challenge and invite us every day this week to find a way to put that passage into practice. Maybe someone from your past, maybe someone in a younger generation, maybe someone that you have had some relational struggles with, maybe someone who's a mentor, someone in your family, someone on the church staff, one of our ministry volunteers, maybe one of our mission partners somewhere else in the world. Each day, ask God to show you who he wants you to encourage and then take a moment to let them know. This week, the staff received an email from a woman who is a part of our congregation who wrote to encourage us. Her note was so incredibly moving to me, and I know it had to have been to others on our staff. The first thing she did in her note is to say, I want to send you a copy of a prayer that I've been praying for our church starting seven years ago. That in itself is incredibly moving and humbling. But on top of that, she went on and said, could I share with you some of the ways that I am seeing answers to how I've been praying for you? And let me just share with you a little bit of what she wrote. If there was ever a time to encourage you to have strength to stick it out over the long haul, to quote my prayer of seven years ago, it is surely now. You all have led the church through one of the most difficult times in my history, and you've done it with grace, with wisdom, with sensitivity, and most of all, with love. You have demonstrated in shoe leather what you all have been preaching this past year to love God and to love others well. You've navigated cultural minefields. From my vantage point, you've done that beautifully, but I'm sure at quite a cost to each of you personally. Today, may you be encouraged by the one who sees and knows you and loves you infinitely. May he fill up your cup with comfort and joy. May he give you all that you need for this day and the next and the next. May you not grow weary in doing good. May you have wisdom and discernment as you make decisions and lead the flock of Christ with great love. I believe great days are ahead for our church. The world is going through a shaking and a sifting like never before, and so is the church. But we know that the church is resting on the unshakable foundation of the rock. And when the dust settles, what emerges will be a new thing. May the breath of the Holy Spirit blow off the dust that has covered your souls, his faithful servants, and may his glory and splendor continue to shine through you. Wow. When I read that, as they are now, my eyes teared up. What powerfully strengthening words for me. So, this morning, pursue someone. 
This week, encourage someone daily. And then next Sunday, okay, and here's the challenge. This is really going to be a significant challenge. I want to invite you into a complete shift of perspective. This is a thought experiment that turns into a life experiment that I wonder if God wants us to join in together. Next Sunday, I want every one of us to plan our entire morning for the sake of someone else other than ourselves. The entire morning. Here's what I mean by that. Let every decision you make, every step you take, every word you say, be for the sake of the rest of the church family. Here's something fascinating in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. It says, let us consider, you may remember this, how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. If you look closely at this passage, and this is fascinating, you see that the phrase meeting together and encouraging one another are parallel to each other. I think at least in part, what that is saying is that we encourage one another. We spur one another on toward love and good deeds just by being here with one another, just by being intentional to come together with a regard for one another. So here's what I want us to try next Sunday. What if everything we did next Sunday was with someone else in mind other than myself? Here's what I mean. How would you plan your calendar next weekend and guard your schedule if you were committed to being here next Sunday for the sake of others, to encourage and build them up, deciding about your church participation, not on the basis of what you feel or what's convenient or what you feel you need, but on the basis of what might encourage others? How would you pray ahead of time for one another as brothers and sisters, how they might encounter God in worship and how they might be encouraged by our fellowship together? How would you plan your morning, maybe coming early to meet people who are new to the church and, and aren't sure how to make their way through the building? Or maybe staying later so that you could interact with others, maybe preparing extra food before you come to worship so you could invite someone to come home and share a meal with you. And what would happen to our church if we did this not just for one Sunday, but if we began to do this every Sunday? To, to pull a Joe Ely or a Dulcie Abraham which they and so many others of you already do so beautifully, to gather for worship first with the thought that I come to give to God his due and I come to encourage and strengthen the rest of you. Can you imagine what would happen to our vitality as a church family if that more and more became our mindset? Wow. Let's start with next Sunday. This Sunday, pursue one another. This week, encourage one another. Next Sunday, give your morning away for the sake of one another. One of my favorite verses in any hymn is the last stanza of Great is Thy Faithfulness. I want to invite our worship team to come on up now as we get ready to sing this. That last stanza is like a blueprint that reveals what God's building project is in each one of us. This is the faith foundation that he is establishing in us. Pardon for sin and a peace that endures. Your own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine and 10,000 beside. When you and I encourage each other, when we build each other up, that is what we are strengthening in each other. Brothers and sisters, encourage one another.
and build one another up. And God's people said,